You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Hunt and Onyx Maps. Now, I got to have a a little heart-to-heart with you here real quick. I used Onyx Maps on my phone every single day during the hunting season, whether I was out west during my elk hunt, South Dakota mule deer hunt, or my rut vacation in Iowa, I was on my phone using Onyx Maps every part of the day, whether I was looking at terrain features uh, on the topographic and, and satellite maps that they offer on their uh, uh, on their app, or if I was leaving a waypoint like a watering hole or where I left my trail cameras or tree stands, or if I was marking a route from a campsite to a glassing position or from my truck to a tree stand location. I used Onyx Maps every single day, and I feel like it's an app that made my life a little bit easier. I don't know about you, but uh, there's been times in the past where I have been trying to find a tree stand based off of memory and not off of looking at a map and uh, I I have gotten lost in the dark before I had to wait till sun up and then and then you know find it that way but that problem does not exist anymore because of Onyx and uh, there's a ton of other features that I think you guys need to check out go to onyxmaps.com and uh, check out uh, all the functionality of the app Uh, download it to your phone give it a try and when you do decide to purchase enter the discount code nation 20 n-a-t-i-o-n two zero and for new users you're going to receive 20% off. So, onyxmaps.com. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo! Uh, There's only one. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I woke up this morning with a little bit of a fire in my belly, and that's why I had to start. (laughs) I had to start this episode off with a little bit of a Ric Flair quote. I don't know why, but that guy gets me fired up every single time, and uh, whatever. But uh, today's episode, we are going to be talking with a gentleman out of St. Louis, Missouri. His name is Tyler Terry, and uh, Tyler is fairly new to hunting, and he's going to talk all about his introduction into hunting, how he didn't necessarily come from an outdoor family. He went through the same rigmarole as most of the, the young men his age do, you know, sports and girls and school and college and then towards the end of it he finally found his path back in to hunting and now it sounds like he is a passionate bow hunter and we have a full conversation about that now another part of this uh, conversation that I really find interesting is Tyler is black and some of the reactions that he gets from other people when they find out he is a hunter and uh, he messaged me some of this stuff through Instagram and I hate to say it but I I had to laugh at it that um, (laughs) when another person looks at another person and says "Uh, you hunt 
Like, like, but you know, you, you look at it and, uh, all throughout the South, uh, really all over the United States, people hunt. And it's one of those things where if we want to break down barriers and include more people into this family of hunters, we have to drop all preconceived notions of what a hunter looks like, right? At that point, it's just a stereotype. And, uh, you know, obviously there are more hunters throughout the world than just your uh, North American white male. And uh, we talk about that. So it's a really interesting conversation, not only about uh, his introduction into hunting, but about the culture of hunting and uh, the fact that he hunts and he's black. So whatever. But uh, that's what today's episode is about. But before we get into today's episode, I do have to talk about Vortex Optics. Now, I've been using Vortex for several years now, and I will tell you that the quality of their products, uh, I have binoculars, I've had a couple pairs of binoculars throughout the years, I have a spotting scope, and I'm telling you, when you have a very good set of optics, whether that's a spotting scope or, or a set of binoculars, you are... Like, I feel like it's a big advantage, especially when you're out west or, for uh, example, having the spotting scope, a really good quality spotting scope out in South Dakota for my mule deer hunt. It changes the game, really, and it allows you to make decisions uh, and get basically just more data to make decisions for your hunt. So if you want to find out more information of the quality optics that Vortex produces, not only binoculars and spotting scopes and range finders and rifle scopes and their their badass warranty where basically if you break it, they fix it or replace it, you need to visit VortexOptics.com. Check them out. All right, let's get into today's episode with my man, Tyler Terry. All right, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Tyler Terry. How you doing, man? Pretty good. How's it going? I mean, I can't complain. Season's over. Now what? You know what I mean? <laughs> now we start for our prep for next season, I guess. That's right. That's right. So, uh, real quick, where do you live? What do you do for a living? Okay, I live uh, just outside of St. Louis uh, in St. Charles, Missouri, and I am a chemist. A chemist. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So tell me, what does a chemist do? Because uh, as soon as you said chemist, I thought of uh, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. You're not, you're <laughs> yeah, not, a, you don't like cook no. meth, do you? <laughs> no, no, no. So um, I work for a chemical additives for plastics company. Okay. And a quality control lab. So essentially, they make these products for various uh, customers. And these additives, they'll bring them to me and my coworker, and we'll run analytical tests on them and make sure that they're within a certain spec range to meet the quality of said products. And it's basically like someone bringing in food, and then they say, hey, taste this. What's it missing? What's it, what's it need? Okay. And then you tweak the recipe until it's acceptable kind of thing. So, All right. So is it boring or is it really cool? Honestly, eh, you get a little bit of both with that. Yeah. It just kind of depends on the day. You you never really know exactly what you're going to get when you go. Okay. So it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, do you ever work with, like, really dangerous chemicals that you have to wear PPE all the time, and if you get it on your skin, it'll burn you? Yeah, acids and such. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely a lot of that stuff in the lab. Yeah. So when I was living down in Alabama, I was a contractor for a, um, a company that would go in and basically clean facilities that made food. Right. So the USDA says Mm -hmm. that in a facility, in a facility like that, uh, they have to be clean once every 24 hours. And, uh, so my crew would go in and they would clean, clean the facility ceiling to floor. And we worked with some 
products that basically dissolved all living tissue and and that was like fat and chicken grease and meat and even flour and stuff like that it would just dissolve it and then we would rinse it off so really really highly powerful stuff and i remember one day i got on my i was spraying you would spray it on this foam and it went down the collar of my shirt and it landed on my upper back and i didn't notice it right away but um it was similar to like the fight club where remember in, in the movie fight club where he, he puts that chemical on and, and water doesn't yeah. work. You got to put something else on it. So, so it, uh-huh. uh, I don't know, acid versus base or whatever. And, uh, I'm telling you what, I still have a scar today from that stuff. It's, it's nasty the way that it works. Yeah. There's some nasty ones out there for sure. Yeah. So you're a chemist. Uh, do are people impressed by that? Like I, I would think that if you were at a party, you would be a hit because there's not a lot of quote unquote chemists walking around. Yeah. Um, I get the breaking bad question a lot. You get funny looks like you're a chemist because <laughs> I mean, people, they see chemists on TV and they expect like these thick Coke bottle glasses and Nerd. pocket protectors. And I'm just kind of like your average everyday guy. So it's always a conversation starter. For right. That. Right. All right. So, uh, you know, obviously we're here to talk about deer hunting and whatnot. And uh, just out of curiosity, how did your 2019 season go? Well, um, there were a lot of ups and downs. Uh, I hunt here in Missouri, but my family also has a small farm in Kentucky that we hunt and I manage. Okay. And so I spent a lot of time over there just kind of each year. I've been hunting, I guess, six years now. And I, I try and do a little more to the farm each year to try and set myself up for success better and i'm noticing progressing getting a little deeper into the habitat management and just learning deer hunting and how deer move tactics like all that stuff and i would say that this year on my farm i learned more than i have the past six years combined gotcha gotcha so Um, how big is that family farm in kentucky uh it's like 16 18 acres it's really small really small so um how are you going about getting deer to stay on that property? Are, are you in a good neighborhood or are you the cover and the food and the water? I'm definitely cover and water. It's a good neighborhood. The genetics, um, we're like the next county or two over from one of the top trophy producing counties in the state. So you get, it's really close to the mammoth cave area and there's some monsters killed around there. So that helps, but usually it gets hot around the middle to the end of October on through the rut, just because we have good cover and that's where the does hang out. So usually that's when it, when everything starts heating up and gets really exciting. Right. Oh, cool, man. Well, I tell you what, uh, I'm a firm believer that I really don't care where the bucks are at, uh, you know, all, I guess, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. Uh, and then September, if they start moving in, then I know, you know, Hey, I'm going to have deer on the farm again, but, uh, it's, it's good to have a farm like that. Yeah. It's definitely taught me a lot and a lot of reading going into tactics and trying to figure out how out the best way to draw and hold deer in such a small place. Yeah. Yeah. But you live in Missouri. So how far of a drive from St. Louis to your farm? Uh, about five and a half hours ish okay five and a half so that is it a every weekend during the hunting season thing or is it just a couple times throughout the season Uh, usually two i'll usually take a week of vacation and block out and i'll go spend the majority of that over there um i get over there as i can if i get a three or four day weekend here or there i'll try and get over there but when i can't go there i'll stay local yeah and then i'll i moved to st louis a year ago so Back where I grew up um, in southeast Missouri, there's plenty of places that I know well. I'll go hunt there some too with buddies. Okay, so what's the uh, what's the St. Louis and surrounding area like for hunting properties? Is it just slammed with on public, or do you have a lease, or do you have a, a farm there, or what's the deal? So I hunt public up here. Um, I have a coworker that has about a hundred acre piece, just like. 45 minutes to an hour outside of St. Louis that 
he let me hunt on this year, and that's where I actually harvested my rifle season doe at. Um, but past that, mostly just public, getting up here, boots on the ground, scouting, trying to learn the places. We've got Missouri Conservation Public and then a few federal places as well. So there's a lot of places to choose from. Um, yeah, the hunter density, I feel like it's pretty high here in the places 20, 30 minutes across the city or whatever so i like to go out a little further and get out more rural where there's less people i mean there's still more hammer than what i'm used to down in southeast missouri but you find ways to make it work right so where are you at in your hunting career are you new to hunting or are you have you been doing it for a while where are you at okay so i started i'm 31 i started when i was 25 okay um, Kind of picked up on it. I always wanted to learn to deer hunt. My dad really, um, he wasn't really exposed to it that much. He did a lot of small game hunting and fishing growing up. So my exposure to the outdoors was kind of, when I grew up as a kid, it was just fishing farm ponds or going to lakes and stuff like that. And then as I got older, you know, you learn gun safety and I had a bow and just kind of picked up from there. And then, I expressed my interest in wanting to go deer hunting with him. And he's like, you know what? When you get like 13, I'll take you hunting kind of thing. And yeah. he was an electrician uh, for Procter & Gamble. Worked a lot of swing shifts. And he just really didn't have the time. He had a family business running rental properties as well. So it just kind of never happened. I got caught up in the sports. And it just kind of became an afterthought because I was doing something year-round pretty much. And then uh, got to college and ended up doing a sport along with school and everything. So, I again, I didn't have the time. And as a college kid, you really don't have the money to gear up and get right. in there to really have a good time. So after that, um, got a job, left that job, went to another job, and that was when I first got my uh, job, pretty much my degree field, and kind of had a little bit of ex- – of, uh, disposable income so I was like I want to get into hunting and as a bonus this job has hundreds of acres right along the Mississippi River and like a 90 acre lake private lake forest that we can hunt and fish in deer ducks turkey oh sweet that kind of thing so it's right there so it's 15 minutes across town <laughs> right on the river in the Mississippi River bottoms and so I wanted to go about hunting and kind of express my interest to some coworkers, and they kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, cool, <laughs> one of those kind of things. Yeah. And I, uh, my best friend actually was the one that kind of like took me under his wing and taught me the basics. Hey, this is what a scrape looks like. This is a rub. This is why they do it. Like he showed me the basics. Yeah. And uh, he was actually there. My first shot, archery shot on a buck, I missed. <laughs> I was really salty about it, and that's when I learned what a rangefinder is, why it's important to range your deer, all that. Yeah. Shot right underneath him. And uh, a week, a few weeks later, I got redemption and actually shot that deer rifle season, so that was kind of cool. Nice. Um, yeah, it was like a gift. I got out there, and I hadn't been in the woods 10 minutes. And he walks out, and he's thirty yards from me, broadside, just looking at me. <laughs> so it was it was a give me, and it got ya. It felt pretty good, but that that also helped me uh, realize my whole life I wanted to kill a deer, you know. And yeah. doing it right there where I did it, I saw usually like I'd watch YouTube videos. The guys shoot the deer, it runs off, and dies. They go track it. He ran about thirty yards, and he died right in front of me out in the open so I saw it and I was like oh yeah I shot a deer oh wait oh crap oh yeah he's dead now <laughs> it's one of those kind of things so then yeah. you know that's the side of hunting that I wasn't really exposed to or told about I guess you mean watching the animal die yeah yeah and that's when I was like okay this is really serious like I love deer meat I want to make sure that I can make clean ethical kills all the time because this is a serious matter kind of thing yeah so, yeah so that, that was interesting when when you approached, you know, co- either coworkers or your 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 friend, uh, and said, "Hey, man, um, I want to start. I want to start hunting." And you were roughly around twenty five at that point. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, 25. What was that first season like? How much did you get out and actually, how much time did you actually spend in the woods that first season? And was that with a, a gun or with a bow? The majority, I did both. Um, I even did alternative methods with a muzzle loader just because I wanted to get exposed to all of it and see what I liked. Yeah. That was actually um, either the year of or the year just before. Missouri made it legal for everyone to be able to go out and hunt with a crossbow. Okay. And so I got out there and I was kind of, you know, I'm, oh, crossbows, that's cheating. That was kind of my initial thoughts on them. Like, archery is where it's at kind of thing because I, I have a bow. Yeah. Well, my one of my first solo hunts on a farm that I hunted down there, this nice three-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer came to about 25 yards from me was perfectly broadside and behind him was a year and a half four pointer that was looking at me in a tree because I was pretty much exposed with no back cover. So he saw me and I couldn't, I couldn't draw. I'd have been busted. So I just kind of sat there like, well, crap. Okay. Maybe crossbows aren't so bad. <laughs> and so after that, I kind of quit giving crossbow guys a hard time. I respect it. As long as it gets you in the woods yeah. and can help you harvest an animal, that's what's really important. Absolutely. And I think a lot, a lot more people need to realize that, you know, I, uh, I'm the guy who I believe any, any method that's legal and ethical, uh, should get a, you know, get fair, you know, you know, I guess a, a fair shot. And if someone wants to go out during the gun season and use a gun, that's fine. If someone wants to go out during uh, a crossbow season or whatever and use a crossbow, that's fine. But <laughs> I always I always have to add this in as just a little jab. Uh, if you're one of my buddies, I'll probably give you a little bit of shit for it, right? I'm, I'm not. Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> so um, your first season, uh, what were what got you excited the most out of all those weapons? What, uh, what was the takeaway from that first season? Definitely, uh, archery. And I've been a very driven and competitive person my whole life. And with that being said, I really want, it was really sweet to get that redemption with that buck, which granted he was like a two year old, maybe, but it was my first year. Um, yeah. It was nice getting that redemption, but I really wanted to kill him with my bow. <clears throat> I just kind of felt like if you, there's something about doing it with archery equipment that it's a feeling like you don't get with anything else. Yeah. And it kind of makes you feel, I guess, primitive, almost like native, if yeah. that makes sense. Like you feel like you're just going out there and you're really, you're really a top dog, no matter if it's a doe, a spike, or like a 160 stud. Yeah. You just never know, but it's all, you're just like awesome. And, and I think what it also does is it, it gives you the opportunity to get really personal with your prey and it allows you to get close to the point where now any move that you make is detrimental to the hunt. Right. I mean, it's, 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 you, now your errors are amplified with when a gun, you can make a lot of errors and shoot long distances. Oh, yeah. But with the archery, man, you have to be on top of things. Oh, yeah. It helps your woodsmanship a lot, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, sometimes after those first seasons, um, some people say, well, it's not necessarily for me. And then some do what I did and just kind of cannonball right into it. Right. Did yep. you did you cannonball or did you oh, yeah. ease in? There was definitely a cannonball. Um I majored in biology in school, so I was always interested in just animals and ecosystems and everything as is. So I really kinda ramped up my research into deer behavior and everything and hunting right there on the Mississippi River bottoms like that, there are some giants and I had giants on trail cam, but it was one of those things you have to be in the woods when they are. And just because you have them on a camera, doesn't mean that you're going to get them. And that's kind of <laughs> been something that's driven me. My obsession, I guess you could call it the last few years in more depth. I'm getting more and more of these big deer on camera, but it's a matter of once you do that, that's just one piece to the puzzle. Right. There's so much more. You've got to figure out, okay, what time of the day are they coming in? Which direction are they traveling? What are the weather conditions, the wind, like 
all these things to the point that you have to really look at it on an analytical level, which is becoming easier, I guess, with like, as I get older and more experienced in the field. And then, I mean, my profession, I have to be analytical every day. So it's definitely helping me to get to that point. And now I'm at the point where it's just a matter of being there at the right time to harvest the mature animals I'm seeing on camera. Right. And that's a, that's a big step because, uh, I feel like when you make that decision to go after a mature animal and, you know, start passing younger deer and, you know, really taking hunting serious, it's a really big commitment. Um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes guys make, say, you know, they, they select, they select the goal, but don't necessarily commit to achieving the goal. Does that make sense? No, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, how long, how many years into, you know, you started when you were 25 or 31 now, how many years of just going out and doing hunting, uh, did you do until you said, okay, enough's enough. I want to, I want to become a better hunter. I want to target mature game. What did that transition look like? And, um, how long into hunting was it? Well, it was kind of, that first, I mean, everybody wants, you you go out and you archery hunt and everybody wants to kill a stud buck. I mean, you yeah. kind of do as a hunter, but it really got serious for me. I'd say like my second season in, just after seeing the quality of deer that were running around down there, I'm like, there's no reason I can't do this. I've just got to crack the code, so to speak. Like my buddy showed me all the basics and then I just dove in, researched, and that's actually how I, uh, I found out about you from the old white knuckle days. Yes, sir. And, and I got in the, I just kind of watched any deer hunting YouTube video you can think of. If you look on my YouTube queue, I've probably already watched it. <laughs> and <laughs> Pinterest, Instagram posts, you name it, whatever, Google. I've always got my head in a book somewhere to the point like friends, I've got friends and family and they're like, all right, you're going to turn into a deer, like shut up, <laughs> but I, just, I can't turn it off. I've got a buddy I went to elementary school with and uh, he ended up becoming an ER doctor and he's got his own farm and stuff now. And it's just crazy because as kids, like we never knew that we were both going to share this similar interests. and he moved off, did his own thing. I've done mine and we were able to reconnect through that. And now he's crushing it, killing great deer and yeah. really doing a good job. Let me let me ask you a question about making this switch. And this is nothing against you, but how many deer mm-hmm. have you killed with a bow? One. One. Okay. Yep. So, with that said, I went through a stage when I became a serious bow hunter too, where all I wanted to do was kill big, big giant deer, and. Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously I'm in Iowa, so I have a little bit more um, access, I guess you would say, not necessarily to land, but to mature deer. Just Iowa has a higher age class, and therefore you might get some bigger racks, right? But Mm -hmm. what I, in a way, what I regret is it has taken me a long time to get comfortable in the moment of truth because I did Mm -hmm. pass so many deer early on when I probably should have been shooting them that mm-hmm. I've had a couple moments where I did now have the encounter with a target buck and I fucked it up because I was so amped up and I, I, I had never been, I, I had never had that moment of truth where I actually had to draw back and pull the trigger and mm-hmm. shoot the animal. Do you, do you think that you need to kill more deer before you really transition into that? Or are you just going out to try to, you know, tag the big buck? Well, I'm definitely not just tunnel vision. I mean, early season uh, this year in Kentucky, actually opening day, I shot a doe um, and ended up losing my blood trail and, couldn't recover there's been a couple of times that things like that have happened yeah so i I mean i've shot at more but it's one of those things i'm not strictly the only thing i'm shooting at's a mature buck that's not me like if i see a doe and she's within range and i can make an ethical kill i'm going to do everything in my power to harvest that deer it's just kind of the way things have played out 
and my end goal of being <clears throat> that I want to kill a mature buck kind of thing and consistently I'm I'm trying to focus on the end of the tunnel with regards to that but along the way I'm not going to like pass a chip shot of a doe that's 20 yards from me gotcha. and broadside or something kind of thing gotcha all right so that makes a little that makes a little bit more sense to me that you know you're gonna mm-hmm. you know you're gonna go out and actually shoot some deer but when it comes to the buck tag you're out looking for something mature yeah okay cool what's the what's the tag scenario like in missouri i should know this because i'm to the north but how many tags do you get in a year so missouri um you get when you get your archery tags, you get two, and then you get two turkey tags as well. Okay. Then firearms, you can buy your tag, and depending on the county, they have antlerless additional that you can get, or your landowner tags and things like that. And then you can also buy alternative methods. You can get tags for that as well. So you can you're only allowed to harvest. You can harvest two bucks a year one archery and then if you don't harvest one rifle you can harvest another one archery after that okay all right kind of kind of deal but they don't want you to just like load up gun season and it's a conservation thing i get why they do it yeah absolutely all right so uh over the last handful of years right you know you're somewhat Mm -hmm. you're somewhat new to um bow hunting or, or hunting in general over the last, you know, handful of years, six years, how, what are some of the biggest lessons learned and some of the biggest, uh, of failures maybe that you've had that have kind of resulted in an aha moment for you? Uh, the wind. Yeah. It definitely matters. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this year I kind of had a light bulb moment with, a uh, cover on my farm the first I haven't been hunting that six years. This is my third season there. And the first year I saw like two or three deer. I hunted there like three times and that was it. And I'm seeing all this sign, but it just didn't make sense. The next year I go in a little deeper and I'm seeing double that to this year. There was, there were nights that I saw. Um, I remember one night in particular, I found a big rub. I think I actually told you about it. And uh, I saw 17 deer that night. And that was just huge for me on such a small farm. And the past three years, I've never seen any, like that kind of movement there. So it just kind of made me happy that my habitat management efforts are working and that my scouting is working and starting to connect. But with that being said, I learned a valuable lesson that uh, I think I heard Dan Infault say it once. Deer bow hunting is all about finding the spot on the spot. Yeah. And I didn't really know what that meant until that day. I got in the stand. I see this massive rub on this trail. I want a 20, 15, 20 yard shot. I set up perfect for that. I get my lone wolf set up and I look and I had a gut feeling. It was like, dude, you need to get down and move 12 yards that way into that tree. It was that specific in my head. I was like, ah, you know what? I don't want to do that. Too much time and movement. I'm just going to stay here. That night I saw those deer. Every last one of them walked underneath that tree. <laughs> With no shot. And there was, of course, and yeah, there was no shot. It was too thick. I was like, crap. So after that, I mean, I kind of, I, I took your advice on the whole getting out there when the rain breaks thing. And I saw some of the best action of the year on that hunt. But it was a, there was a nice eight-pointer. He was just, he was out of range. If it was right. gun season, I would have been able to harvest him. But gun season wasn't for like another day. Right. So it was one of those really, man, I just can't catch a break kind of things. And that happened a lot. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, that is the exact scenario that a lot of hunters actually need to go through in order to connect the dots in, in, in I guess, in respect to mobile hunting, right? Because mm-hmm. you knew what you needed to do. It was just acting on that thought and then you know, the deer come through, no shot. And you're just like, Oh Jesus, I'm an idiot. And, and you know, I'll be honest every once in a while, I'll catch myself doing it again, uh, to the point where I've had so many failures to now it just becomes automatic. But going back to that experience, I think hunters actually need to have an experience like that in order to really get their brain to work properly, uh, on, 
I guess, being more effective in the timber. It's that woodsmanship that you talked about. And the only way to, mm-hmm. to get to that point is to experience failure and then move on from it. Yep. All right. So uh, are you to the point now where things are starting to click a little bit more for you? Um, easier to make decisions when it's time to go into the woods? Um, are you finding yourself being more mobile, uh, thinking about access routes, or would you say you still have some learning to do? Uh, I'm I'm definitely the first one I'd say I'm more mobile. My farm, I have pre-owned setups that are like great doe spots, and then I have my lone wolves that I bring in with my sticks, and whenever I'll kind of do like a intel kind of sit, just an observation thing, and then whatever I see on the outskirts, whenever it's time to move in, I'll get the lone wolf and try and go in there and get the job done. I mean, the access is definitely, I didn't realize how big of an issue it was until uh, I watched a a Dan Infault movie that he made about farm country. And just the, the thought process of these bucks, even on small or big properties, they're sitting there a lot of the time you don't even know it and they're watching you you don't see them but then they show up on your camera the same night you're in the woods absolutely because they watched you come in (laughs) and they just went the opposite way absolutely yeah and to this day i'll scream from the mountaintops access is probably the most important thing um you know it's right up there with you know what the wind is doing while you're in the stand but if you go Mm -hmm. into a quote-unquote good spot and you're exposed and the wind is screwing you over you know 100 yards down or whatever and you don't understand or know that then it's a you're it's a loss before you even get the opportunity you know to to go to bat oh yeah you don't even realize a lot of the time until later when you have that aha moment you're like oh my god i'm an idiot why did i set up there yeah yeah absolutely so um you know wind is the biggest thing you've talked about access anything else whether you know on your kentucky farm or you know hunting your i guess the the corporate property that you have or the uh or the public ground any any other takeaways or real big learning experiences that you've had in the last several years never be afraid to do something different yeah if you have a gut feeling go with it so it's yeah. one of those things you could be wrong, but the potential to be right is equally, if not more attracting to me. So yeah. I would rather go out and try something new, see if it works. Maybe it does work. Maybe it doesn't, but you're learning that way and you're not stuck in the same stand on the same field edge that you've been hunting since you were like seven kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's uh you hit the nail on the head there. I think, Knowing something works and finding out something doesn't work carry the same amount of weight. For sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good, really good point there. Um, so, do you, how much are you spending equal time in in uh, Missouri and in, in, uh, in Kentucky, or are you like, you know, you, it sounds like you're taking your week and you're going to Kentucky, but throughout the season, are you hunting weekends in Missouri? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I hunt weekends in Missouri whenever I can. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Um, all right. So now I want to get into a, a little different conversation here with you. Um, and you you reached out to me on Instagram. I mean, you've been you've you've reached out to me several times before, and uh, we've had these these strategy uh, conversations and talked about that rub and and uh, you know the rain and whatnot, but. Um, you, a while ago, you sent me this, uh, this message. Okay. You're black Mm -hmm. and you get the, you get these, um, these looks when people find out that you hunt. And I think your exact, (laughs) your exact uh, message back to me was you hunt question mark. Like, like it's so it's, and I find it funny because it's so mind blowing to some people that a black man hunts that it it just throws their whole day off you know what i mean <laughs> yeah totally so uh, yeah i want to i, I want to talk uh, about about that a little bit i mean so it, it, i want you to expand on that like when when 
people find out that a black person hunts, what are their specific reactions? Uh, the whole, yeah, like you said, you hunt, and then they, a lot of people catch themselves. Like, nobody means it out of disrespect. They just haven't been, like, exposed to it, I guess, right. kind of thing. And being, I was born in Kentucky, grew up in Missouri, and, like, Kentucky's further in the south. Right. Um, down there hunting, my cousins, I have cousins that do it. Heck, I have cousins that I didn't know hunted that I only found out once I started hunting kind yeah. of thing. And um, so you kind of, you, you get this head-scratching moment, like, really? You you hunt? And in the beginning, it was kind of like, what's that mean? Yeah. And then as I, as I kind of stepped back and, like, analyzed it, kind of like the mainstream hunting industry, if you look out there, you don't see a lot of black guys doing it. Right. And I think a lot of that is the fact that there's higher concentrations of blacks in urban areas right well in urban areas there aren't necessarily as many places to go hunt or to be exposed to it or to to meet somebody that will be able to mentor you and take you into that there's actually a kid here that i'm mentoring now from the inner city to get him into bow hunting that's a different story but um it's kind of one of those things i mean heck that first i i I started wearing real tree camo hoodies i love camo and People, like, I'd be at Walmart, and, like, people would, like, turn their neck, just kind of like, what the hell? Did I just? And so there was a buddy of mine. He's still a good good friend today. And he wanted, he told me he wanted to, to learn to hunt, was taking his hunting safety course. I actually worked with his cousin. And this happened, like, playing zombies on Call of Duty over online. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm wanting to hunt, too. I'm like, really? Well, we'll get your hunter safety certification, and I'll take you. And he's also a black guy. We got out there, you get out there, and not only do these people see one black guy in camo with a bow, they see two, and one's got a crossbow, and they're just like, hey, guys. Like, it's just kind of like they saw a three-headed buffalo or something walking <laughs> through the woods. Are you guys lost? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, that's that's the looks you get, kind of. And, yeah. I mean, any kind – I like to be exposed to the outdoors in any way, hunting, be it whitetail, doves, ducks, right. turkeys, whatever. And, um, so I look, I, I do it partially because I'm competitive. I love the outdoors and being told I can't do something kind of makes me the opposite way. I'm like, okay, well, I'll prove you wrong. I want to do it. I want to be the best that I can be at it Right. to represent it. I've got nephews and a niece and they look up to me. I want them to know that they can do whatever they want to do under the sun as well. So right. I kind of make an effort to put my best foot forward with it. Right. So, let me ask you this then. Um, why would you say there, I guess, I don't want to say there are so few blacks that hunt, but why would you, you know, again, just, uh, uh, I guess, a minority when you, like, if you ask anybody in the nation, right, what does a hunter look like? They're going to probably say a white male, right? Why mm-hmm. yeah. Why do you think that there aren't as many black hunters or outdoorsmen out there um i would go as far to say that there are probably as many many i mean i get being black here a minority to white people but at the same time there are a lot of guys that you you just never have heard of somebody's cousin that lives the next town over and he goes to the lake every weekend and he slays crappie yeah or some guy that he goes out and he consistently is taking his deer every year, but they're not trophy class deer, but for his area, they're good deer. He's putting food on the table. He harvests does, whatever. But it's more of the, I guess, there's not as much of an exposure. I know in urban areas for certain to it. I mean, and again, it's, it's it can be expensive getting into it. You can get in relatively cheap, but eventually it's kind of like you get what you pay for with stuff. Stuff will break yeah. or whatever. And, and you're spending more money. So it's it's not a cheap hobby. It takes time and every like a lot of people have to work more. Yeah. To make their to make their living. So it's kinda of like a work life balance kind of issue there too, I think. Okay. But I've got a lot of buddies that it, since they found out I hunt and they see my posts on Instagram and stuff, they reach out Dude, I didn't know you hunt. I've always wanted to deer hunt. Like I didn't I didn't know uh, the the people that look like me did it too. Like there's black people that don't know that 
other black people hunt. Yeah. So it's kind of cool reaching out and being able to mentor people in that regard, which is, it's funny in a way to me because I haven't like harvested the mature whitetail, but yet there's people that know less about it than me. Yeah. And it's awesome to be able to give back and get more hunter recruitment that way and teach them the basics to where they can get out and teach their niece or nephew or cousin or whoever as well, or kid. Yeah. And I, and I have a, a feeling it would be, you know, somewhat of an easier time communicating with someone who you relate to more. And I guess maybe not on a, I don't know, on a, it sucks to say, but on a, how you look level, right. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, maybe a black guy is going to relate better to a black guy taking him hunting than they would to a random white dude taking him hunting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, do you, do you think there is a, uh, I don't want to say issue, but is it a cultural thing that, uh, maybe, or is it just an opportunity thing or is it a, is it a, you know, an urban you know, maybe more, more black people live in urban. So therefore they're exposed to hunting less. Like what's your, what's your view on all of that? Uh, I mean, you kind of hit all the points on the head. And again, the further South you go, the more norm quote normal, I guess you could say it is to see black hunters and black outdoorsmen. Yeah. There's just more of the family units, more intact with people down there. I mean, when you come to urban places, a lot of the time there's single parent households, uh, mom's working a job and doesn't have the you can't like you don't have the means to get out and hunt whereas yeah. you go further south that unit's intact grandpa's there he's been hunting his whole life your uncles aunts cousins like it's just further intact still so i feel like it's able to be passed like, along more tradition <laughs> yes more tradition i gotcha Definitely. i gotcha so i mean i think that's really cool and i think that you know um, from a men- that just kind of proves that, and not necessarily it being a black or white thing, that in order to be a mentor to someone uh, and get them into hunting, you even you really even don't have to have a ton of experience, right? All you need to have is passion and an understanding mm-hmm. of the rules and regulations. That's really it, and and get to get people excited about hunting. And I think that's awesome that you have a connection that way. And it's kind of rare to be honest with you in a way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's awesome, dude. Um, so you have, uh, uh, and I, I mean, hard transition here, but I, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. I've never had a conversation on this podcast like that before mm-hmm. and it just kind of it really intrigues me and uh you know kind of going back to the beginning just like when when you told me that i just um, imagined some big like southern you hunt <laughs> like you hunt yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. i mean you hit the nail on the head man it yeah. happens yeah all right so uh hard transition now back to uh 2020 right we're getting ready to mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, before we started recording, me and you were already talking about, you know, goals and plans for 2020. But what's your what's your goal for 2020 as far as a, a, a bow hunter is concerned? Um, gain more intel. Uh, a couple of uh, my targets I know in Kentucky, the season ended on the 17th and they're showing up on my trail camera. So they survived. So just trying to put a few more pieces together in the Intel puzzle to maybe get a good crack at one of them come this fall sometime and making little tweaks to the property just to improve it, make it more huntable and accessible and just a good, good all around property for all kinds of wildlife. Right. right. But, uh, up in, as far as Missouri, I mean, I want to learn these public places a little more. There's, thousands of acres here at my disposal that all I got to do is get out there and put boots on the ground to go look at. So yeah. just get out there and get some shed hunting and kind of do some turkey hunting, just ways to get in the woods. Cause I mean, I, there's an example. I had a post, uh, one of my buddies, we went scouting this public land and last, this was last year, about early, late February, early March. 
scouting kind of for turkeys and we were standing on this ridge and I told him like dude this looks like a great spot for some bucks there's a sign everywhere it's up on a ridge top kind of all it was just textbook to me from everything I'd read right and he texts me a week later <laughs> and he has a really nice uh shed that he found in his hand oh nice I'm like, oh it's awesome dude where'd you get it I was actually at work he took off that day He's like, you remember where we were standing on that ridge? And you said it looked like it'd be a good spot for bucks? Yeah. <laughs> it was like 10 feet from where you were. <laughs> and I was oh, so mad. I was happy for him. But I was just so mad because I, I found, like, small deadheads and little small sheds here and there. But here's the first, like, really nice shed I'm seeing right where I said it would be, and I just missed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, anything else? I mean, are, are you – are you still going to stick with the uh, the big uh, or the mature buck as far as uh, Missouri, Missouri, or do you have, do you have the the same standards in in Kentucky and Missouri, or is one more like in Missouri? Are you maybe going for a two two year old, and Kentucky you're going for a four year old, or what's your breakdown? Um, Missouri, all of my deer thus far I've killed have been in Missouri. Okay. I'd like to get an older age class deer here. I feel like I can, I guess you can kind of say I can afford to hold out a little longer because it's so close living here yeah. as opposed to a five hour drive. And, but I do kind of take it personal. Like it's my family farm. Um, I'm the only one in my family really that hunts it. So, and manages it as well. So my goal is I've been hunting there. It'll be four years now to actually harvest an animal off of that farm. That's the first step. I want to harvest a doe. Hopefully, maybe opening weekend would be perfect time to do that. Yeah. And then I want to start going after some of the big boys. But again, over there you can only shoot one buck. So I'll be choosy with it. But in the meantime, you get four tags in Kentucky. So yeah. I want to not eat tag soup anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a great start. Yeah, I hear that, man. I hear that. Well, man, hey, I really appreciate you taking your time to hop on the the podcast and chit chat with us today. Uh, thanks, and uh, good luck in twenty twenty, man. Thanks, man. Not a problem. I appreciate the opportunity. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout out to Tyler for taking time out of his day to hop on the podcast and chit chat with us. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to download and listen to the uh, Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. And huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast. We have Vortex, Lone Wolf, Wasp, Ozonix, Prime, and the new, now, the average conservationist. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because uh, without them, this isn't possible. And uh, I love doing this, so keep buying their products. (laughs) All right, that's about it. Uh, I don't have too much to say except make sure you're following on Instagram and Facebook, uh, you know, Nine Finger Chronicles. Make sure that you're following along on the Sportsman's Nation. You know, visit the website sportsmansnation.com and be sure that you are following and being an active member of the hunting community. And I don't just mean buying license and tags and hunting. I mean following along and doing what you can about conservation and supporting the natural resource and giving back at some point not just taking but giving back and uh, other than that hope everybody has a great weekend enjoy your friday saturday sunday and uh we'll talk to you next time